Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We have a very important program today to talk about what's happening in Columbus, our state capital, and specifically at the People's House, the Ohio State House. I want to read to you a statement we released on Friday uh, to the public and to Governor DeWine. It reads, Destruction at the Ohio State House. Governor DeWine, we urge you to protect the People's House. For the second time in three weeks, the Ohio State House fell victim to extensive vandalism as protesting vandals, anarchists, yesterday, that was last Thursday, in broad daylight to face much of the State House grounds, including the Ohio State motto, emblem, the war memorials, the Holocaust memorial, and the steps and pillars at the Ohio State House. OCA has learned through a 911 call recording that the Columbus Police Department released was aware of the protest and the stopping of traffic on High Street, but was uh, what you will hear in the audio is the officer tells the man who's in the car who's being stopped that uh, they can do nothing for him because Columbus Mayor Andrew Ginter had told the police to stand down. Let's listen to that 911 call now. Columbus Police, Tech 27. Yeah, so I got, um, I got traffic being stopped and impeded on uh, on I Street by a bunch of people that are parking their cars sideways and, and having a party. Where is it at? It's on High Street. Do you have an intersection? Right around Broad Street. Okay, yeah, it's going to be out of the protest downtown. I'll let them know, but... That's a protest? They're, they're, they're riding their, mic, their motorcycle popping wheelies and... Yep, we were, told, okay. we were told by our mayor to stand down, so they're, the mayor has given them full reins of the streets. You've got to be kidding me. Nope, we were told to stand down, so um, I could give you the telephone number for the mayor's hotline if you'd like. Oh, that's what I need. That's what I need. Okay, hold on one second. Sorry, give me one second here. It's going to be 614 645 2489. 2489. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye bye. All right. At the same time of this 911 call, uh, protesters then, according to Highway Patrol, rushed the building, meaning the Ohio State House, with buckets of red paint defacing the war memorials, the Ohio State model seal, state house steps and pillars and building with graffiti and red paint. This is my statement that I released um, last week. These are distressing, distressing times when we are witnessing the defacing of the seats of government. For nearly two decades, it has been my honor to represent the faith community to address public policy issues at the Ohio uh, State House. In 163 years of the existence of the Ohio State House, this level of vandalism has never occurred. This is a watershed moment. We are a nation of laws, and what is being displayed before the people of Ohio at this time is a breakdown of law and order. I want to go back to the 911 call for a second. And that was actually um, confirmed today through sources uh, related to the police department in Columbus that indeed the mayor had a stand-down order concerning the protesters, and that has led to this anarchy. With us on the phone is State um, Householder, uh, State Speaker of the House, Larry Householder, 
And uh, I want to commend him because he is only one of the few voices who have actually spoken up against this um, vandalism at the State House. Mr. Speaker, welcome to the program. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good. Good, Mr. Speaker, and thank you for what you're doing and speaking out about this. We appreciate it very much. Well, it's good to be on, and uh, I wish it was under better circumstances. Uh, it's just ridiculous what's going on at our Ohio Capitol. Um, you know, there's when you talk about protecting taxpayers' uh, wallets, it's not only about what you spend, it's also how you take care of what you've spent. And uh, there's an obligation there to be able to take care of, uh, make sure that uh, government property is protected and that it's being looked out for. And uh, as I had said to uh, the city of Columbus, um, you know, it's an honor for the city of Columbus to serve as the capital of the state of Ohio. And you have to have respect for the property that the citizens of the state of Ohio have spent to, to put there. Wow, that you know that's important that you note that, and we've never seen this before. As I've looked back through uh, the historical records of the Ohio State House, it's 163 years it stood. In fact, it actually housed Civil War Union troops during the Civil War. That building actually played host to Abraham Lincoln when he was coming through, uh, when he was going to serve as president, and then again as his caisson came back after the. Uh, assassinated president uh, did actually come through Columbus and lay, lay in state and the rotunda. That historic state house and those regal hallways has been my pleasure uh, to be able to walk those halls, to represent people of faith, as I said in my statement, uh, to talk to uh, representatives and those who serve us, the public trust. And at times we win, sometimes we lose, but it's always a proper civil discourse on public policy. And, uh, Mr. Speaker, I know that you've served for many years. This is actually your second round of service at the Ohio State House. I know that means a lot to you as well. And uh, I know that uh, this actually had to be like a kick in the gut to you when you saw the vandalism at the State House. No, it absolutely broke my heart. And, uh, you know, no one can condone the actions that were taken in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But those actions weren't in Ohio. And quite frankly, uh, there's the the rally cry of Black Lives Matter and, and Antifa, as well as others, is that, uh, you know, they're, they want to check on police officers and things like that. Well, the state of Ohio doesn't employ any police officers. Uh, this is purely just an attack on our government and our way of life and the things that we believe in. Uh, it's very clear that's what this is and they're using the other as an excuse. Well, we did see these protests that broke out across the country, and again, after the video uh, went um, you know, viral. And of course, people were outraged by what they saw, and there were peaceful protests that were assembled. But then something more happened. Uh, as the protests then at night became, be, became rioting, and then something more, actual anarchists, in the streets of America, and now in Ohio, in Cleveland, in Cincinnati, in Columbus. There was a representative, uh, actually he is a uh, city councilman, uh, African-American city councilman in Cincinnati. He's on a video, he's weeping. He said they're putting bricks in hands of children to throw at stores and to create anarchy in the streets. And he says, 
so they're actually militarizing our youth on the streets, and they're paying them, and they're giving them bricks to throw out. Well, who were these people? Well, these were well-organized anarchists, part of Antifa. And this has been researched when we're tracking this, and this actually took place in Columbus. Now, I've got black pastor friends who were on the streets uh, witnessing, and they said, Chris, this was not indigenous. These aren't people weren't from Columbus. Uh, this is not our community. And these people were here to create problems and chaos. Well, Mr. Speaker, I want to go back to May 28th, because that was the first night where violence actually broke out in downtown Columbus, which was a first uh, for that city. Uh, we go back 50 years ago. You and I have lived long enough. We remember the race riots of the late 1960s. And basically, those were in cities like Cleveland or Canton or Youngstown or Cincinnati. Columbus at that time was more of a, well, it was more of a rural. It was our state capital, and it just didn't seem to have that kind of activity as those other bigger, big urban centers did back in the 60s. But now Columbus is the biggest city in Ohio. And so it is, it is the biggest city. And so now we're seeing big city problems in Columbus. But something happened differently. Walk us back through what happened as the protesters, then rioters, were uh, moved down the streets, and then something happened to where the police moved them towards the state house grounds. Take us through that. Well, when you when you see any other city in the country, uh, the beef of the protesters is with the city government because they're the ones that employ the police officers that are in question. And so, what you've seen in every city in the United States, every urban city in the United States, you've seen uh, protesters go to City Hall. You've seen them protest at the uh, city police department. Um, in Columbus, what happened, uh, Governor DeWine, uh, when Governor DeWine was approached about what we were going to do at the Capitol, he said the Columbus Police Department have it at, at hand. Well, what we watched was as the protesters started to move down towards City Hall, like they have in every single city, um, the, they were stopped by the Columbus Police Department. And so they turned and they came back over onto Broad Street. And as they walked down Broad Street, uh, they were stopped again at Broad and Third. They came back down Broad Street and turned on the high, and they were stopped between on High Street, between Broad and State Street. Is where they were stopped by the Columbus Police Department, sort of wedged in on Broad Street, between Broad Street and State Street. Well, <laughs> that's all state property. You know, you have the State House to the west, you have the Rice Center to the east. Um, it's, uh, or excuse me, backwards, it's the State House to the east and the, and the Rice Center to the west, and the Supreme Court building behind that, and of course the Rhodes Tower right there to the north. Everything right there is state property, and I really believe that Columbus made a decision, the city of Columbus made a decision, that if anything was going to get torn up, it was going to be state property, not city or county property. And that's exactly what happened, Chris. When the tear gas came out and they tried to push the crowd, they ran into the state, over to the state house grounds and actually busted into the state house. And we had rioters inside our Ohio state house. They busted out windows. They painted all over everything. Uh, the marble um, uh, marble uh, seating areas that they had on the state house grounds, they busted those. Um, it was just total chaos. And um, I do believe the city of Columbus made a decision that they didn't want any damages to city property or to county property, and they directed them onto state property. 
Well, that was alarming, and we saw some of the videos, and there's a lot of questions that people have uh, about this because uh, the videos were basically by handheld cell phones. It wasn't by the cameras that are on Statehouse grounds, uh, but we did see what was basically not just... These aren't protesters at this point. These, these are anarchists who went up to the State House building and began busting out windows, breaking down the door. There was a handful of highway patrolmen on guard that night, and that's another question that needs to be answered, Mr. Speaker. Why were they undermanned, knowing that protests could break out at any time? Uh, They were caught off guard. I think that, you know, the um, leadership in highway patrol or maybe the governor's office needs to address that issue. That's on May 28th. Uh, We'll get to what happened last Thursday, why it happened again. That's even more uh, unbelievable. But that night, I'm sure as they entered the building, uh, and it was mayhem from what we're told, and the, uh, you know, the security on hand had to basically uh, threaten with force, uh, and then you see them piling out of the building. So we do understand that one person came through the ceremonial office of the, the uh, auditor's office and cut themselves on glass because there was blood all over. We understand that arrests were made. But then I have to tell the folks right now, do I understand that the city prosecutor has dropped all charges of those who were arrested for those night, that night activity on May 28th? Is that what you understand? So what, what I was told, my understanding through our sergeant of arms, was that there were arrests made that evening by the highway patrol and that the city prosecutor did not prosecute. And, um, and, and I, of course, you know, I went on Facebook and I made that be known that, you know, uh, if they're going to make these arrests, you have to prosecute. If you're not going to prosecute, uh, then there's no point even making the arrests. And frankly, you're just putting your officers in harm's way for, for nothing. Uh, because at the end of the day, there's, there's no charges being filed. Um, I also let it be known that as I was trying to think of ways to possibly uh, hold Columbus accountable, the only thing I could think of, uh, frankly, Chris, was local government funds. Those tax dollars that we give to local governments uh, clear across the state of Ohio, Columbus gets their share of that as well. And uh, I'm going to take a look at the damages that were caused to the State House, the Rice Center, if there was any, the Rose Tower, certainly there was to the Supreme Court. And those damages need to be deducted. The cost of those damages need to be deducted from their local government funds, the city of Columbus. If they're not going to protect the citizens and the property of the state of Ohio, then they don't deserve to have those funds because they're not using them properly. Well said. Let's go to an audio clip from ABC Channel 6 in Columbus last night talking about the expense of the damages downtown into the state house. Let's go to that. Jeff, the downtown protests now costing the city millions of dollars. Just the price tag for police, emergency crews, and the cleanup crews. Alexis Moberger is on your side breaking down those numbers. Since the start of the protests, Columbus Fire has racked up more than $200,000 in overtime. And Columbus Police have spent about $2.7 million on OT. Public service costs including trash, street cleanup, and traffic management total about $142,000. When it comes to state house repairs, the original estimate was about $200,000.
We're still trying to assess what those costs are. We still are waiting for a couple quotes. Laura Batacletti with Capital Square Review and Advisory Board says the total cost may end up being lower than that. But as far as footing the bill. Yeah, the taxpayers will pay for this. So far, it's cost about $15,000 to replace the state house window panes. The lanterns that are outside, um, those are a, a definite custom glass. That will be more than probably. State House officials tell me the costs really start to add up. For example, they now have to replace about 50 of these durable trash cans, each one of them costing about $1,000, and of course, then bringing that total to about $50,000. Clearly, every day we're adding to those costs because of, of needing to repair the graffiti and the damage every day. Quality masonry company out of Marion has spent the last five days scrubbing the State House steps washing away the red handprints. Batacletti says they're expecting to get that bill by Wednesday. Well, we've already paid $12,000 to them. This is going to be much more than that. But as the protests continue, city officials predict the price tag will continue to grow. Alexis Moberger, ABC6 News. Republican House Speaker Larry Householder is furious about the damage at the State House. He's calling on the city of Columbus to pay for all damage and threatening to take that money out of the city's state funding. So your message, Mr. Speaker, certainly got out and Channel 6 reported. I want to go on with a statement that I made last Friday and I called upon the governor. I said we have been in contact with dozens of Ohioans over the last few weeks who are alarmed and troubled by what they see at our state's capital. We are calling on Governor DeWine to take action. It is your duty, Governor, to protect the people's house and the citizenry. You have at your command two policing authorities, the State Highway Patrol and the Ohio National Guard. As you have often said in your daily press briefings, the buck stops with you. Therefore, we call upon you to take action. Please protect the people's house the seat of our state government. We as the people of faith will continue to pray for peace and civility to prevail throughout our state and nation. Well, the governor did put out a uh, statement last Friday, and he said that I have spoken with Ohio State Patrol uh, and the security around the state, about the security at the state house, and I shared with him my anger and disgust at the vandalism that occurred there yesterday. I support the right of to peacefully protest. However, Defacing, damaging, and vandalizing our state capital and its grounds are wrong, and such actions are criminal. The Ohio State Highway Patrol is conducting a criminal investigation into uh, last Thursday's uh, acts of vandalism, and they will send their findings to the appropriate authorities for potential prosecution. Well, I think what bothers people there, Mr. Speaker, is potential prosecution. So your thoughts? That's right. That is exactly right. Uh, and, you know, the city uh, city prosecutor, uh, uh, Zach Klein, has, uh, has said to me uh, he was upset about my Facebook uh, social media uh, posts. Uh, he said that they weren't accurate. And, uh, and my response is this. We'll find out. Don't, don't worry yourself with it. We'll find out. We'll, we'll have a committee, and we have subpoena power, and we'll bring in people, and we'll get to the bottom of it, and we'll find out what elected officials don't think it's important to protect taxpayers' property, Amen. and we'll let that be known. And if there well, needs to be some legislation, we've, we've also looked at possible legislation where uh, we would uh, take the authority away from the city prosecutor and give it to the attorney general of the state of Ohio for prosecutions downtown Columbus. And frankly, Chris, 
uh, this will alarm people, but I've also looked at the possibility of taking uh, the properties that are owned in downtown Columbus and, frankly, setting up uh, some something like the District of Columbia is so we don't have to deal with this down the road because it's important for government to operate and continue to operate no matter if anarchists are taking over a city or not, no matter if a mayor allows them to take over a city. Um, it has to operate, and uh, we owe that to the people of this state, and I won't rest until we make certain that uh, the people of Ohio are taken, taken care of and the government's able to function properly for them. We're talking to Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder, uh, who has been the strongest voice in uh, talking about security at the State House. And, Mr. Speaker, I want to tell you that a lot of people really are applauding you and thanking you for taking a stand. And I think that holding hearings is appropriate at this point. There are some questions that need to be answered. We certainly support our law enforcement. I have and hold the, the Highway Patrol in high regard. But they also have to answer some questions as exactly what happened here. Because the second time in three weeks where vandals rushed the State House grounds, uh, and, of course, they received no help, from uh, Columbus police as they were in a stand-down. And to, uh, to, to basically to speak on their behalf, when their boss, the mayor, tells them to stand down, their hands are tied. So, you know, the citizenry well, I, is I just would like to get, I would like to get to the bottom of what orders did the highway patrol receive and who did they receive them from and what orders did the Columbus Police Department receive and who did they receive them from. I want to get to the bottom of that. Because uh, let me tell you, Chris, you know, I, I raised a large family. And the one thing that I know, I've got a lot. My, my kids are great kids. Uh, but if I just let them do whatever they wanted to do, it would get worse and worse and worse. And that was the message that was being sent in Columbus. Uh, you know, when they rushed the state house and busted out all the windows and no one did anything about it. Well, guess what? It got worse. Every night, it got worse and worse. Yes. And, you know, just last, uh, this past weekend, I think it was Friday night, uh, there was racing in the streets. Uh, they closed off broad and high, uh, the streets on broad and high, which happened to be, you know, U.S. for uh, State Route 40 and State Route 23 as well. And there were actually shots fired at troopers uh, on passing by automobiles. Uh, that if you don't if you don't stand up and stop this stuff, it's going to get worse and worse, and it's 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 just horrific what's going on in downtown Columbus. Well, we're with you, Mr. Speaker, and I'm going to be reaching out to a lot of policy groups who have, with me, gone to the state house over the years and met with representatives. And you, like you said, in a uh, representative republic where the citizens have uh, the right to peaceably assemble and to uh, petition their government. If we can't do that in security and safety at the people's house, we're in real trouble as a state. And I want to thank you for taking a stand. So we'll be looking for those hearings, and uh, we'll actually direct people to uh, pay attention. We'll make sure the folks know. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Again, that's uh, Speaker of the Ohio House, uh, Mr. Larry Householder. And again, uh, folks, this is the time to pray. This is the time to pay attention. And... uh, We're going to listen to an encore presentation of Bill Fetter of the Brown Shirts and Antifa and, unfortunately, the similarities. That will be up next. Uh, Stay tuned. Uh, You don't want to miss that.
Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Uh, Those of you that listened to last week's program when we were urging letters to Governor DeWine, about our nursing homes, allowing at least one family member to visit with their loved ones in the nursing homes. Now, as we go into the fourth month of the COVID shutdown of our nursing homes, we want to get in and see our loved ones. Uh, Keep those letters and emails going to the governor, and you can link to that on our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Uh, There's a link there to send a message to the governor Uh, Again, uh, there's been no announcement as of yet. As you know, we did put out a letter to the governor urging him in the strongest terms uh, to have a policy that would allow for loved ones to meet uh, with their loved ones in the nursing homes. I mean, these folks don't understand why family aren't coming in, uh, and it's a terrible situation. We want to see that turned around. So maybe uh, there's an announcement here in the next week or so, let's hope. And let's pray for that. But again, thank you for making your calls and emails to the to Governor DeWine about that important issue. A few weeks ago, we had on our broadcast, uh, we talked about the protests, the riots, and the anarchist group Antifa, and the Christian response. Uh, many of you heard that program. Well, today, as I told you at that time, we were going to continue on this, because this isn't going away. This is actually uh, a major occurrence in our country. 
Uh, in fact, most of you do not know that the Ohio State House on that Thursday night when the riots began, uh, protests in the afternoon that turned into violent riots at night, actually broke the glass and compromised the doors of the Ohio State House. Uh, there were those who went in. Uh, anarchists, quite honestly. Uh, these weren't the protesters. These were anarchists who went into the state house and started ransacking the first floor. Only three highway patrolmen were on guard that night. Uh, that is an underreported story. Many of you have seen the pictures of the boarded up uh, building of the Ohio State House. I want to tell you that in our 161 year history of the People's House, that has never happened. Uh, this is actually a watershed moment, but it didn't just happen in Columbus. We're getting reports out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, this isn't your normal just uh, type protest against uh, uh, racism as uh, we saw in the streets, but it actually something else was at stake. I want to read to you the statement we had at the time. Protests sparked in cities across America in response to the viral video of the arrest and death of George Floyd. What followed were protests that turned into riots and something more, orchestrated anarchy in the streets of America by a well-funded organized domestic terrorist organization, Antifa. In this program, we, we, we want to talk about the details. And here with us on the phone is Bill Federer of the American Minute. And Bill is taking us through history because here we go again. This is very reminiscent of the brown shirts in Nazi Germany back in the 1930s. Bill, welcome to the program. Chris, great to be with you. Well, thank you, Bill. And we saw that uh, your American Minute you put out uh, about a week or so ago, uh, Hitler's brown shirts used Antifa tactics to overthrow Germany's republic. Um, then you went on to talk about D-Day began rescuing Europe, a struggle to preserve our republic our religion, our civilization, of course, from the tyranny of Nazi Germany throughout Europe. But it began uh, with the political movement and actually the uh, Nazis, uh, socialistic Nazis, uh, on their attack on their own government. Uh, and let's talk about that. Right. So it's this uh, idea that you have to create a crisis. So there's uh, an excuse for uh, a strong leader to assume power. Um, and we can give instances through history, but the Nazi one is important. So uh, Hitler uh, was elected chancellor by one vote, and just within uh, a week or so, there's a uh, crisis. The Capitol building is set on fire. Uh, this is called the Reichstag. It's the German Capitol building. And evidence points to Hitler supporters setting the fire. But during this crisis, uh, Hitler is able to uh, usurp power, have his opponents arrested and killed. Um, uh, Hitler's tactics were quite interesting. Uh, well, and again, uh, Germany was a republic at the time when this happened. It's called the, the, the Weimar Republic. Right. So after World War One, they set up a representative republic and it worked. Uh, but um, they uh, were struggling and Hitler goes to the people and says, I'll turn things around. So he presented himself as the the uh, person that would straighten things out uh, and people would yield their their rights and freedoms to him only to find out later that he was a dictator. Um, 
So Hitler had a radical group called Brown Shirts. Uh, they were headed up by a activist homosexual named Ernst Rome, and the historical reports were that this was a homosexual group, and they were called stormtroopers or Sturmbleitung, and they would storm into the meetings of Hitler's political opponents and disrupt the meeting and shout down the speakers. These tactics were adopted by those that go to campuses today and interrupt conservative speakers and so forth. Uh, the brown shirts organized street protests and riots that started off peaceful and then evolved into smashing windows, blocking traffic, locking arms, right? Uh, setting fires and vandalizing and even beating to death innocent bystanders. Why? Because they wanted to spread fear and panic so that people would want Hitler to come in with a strong arm and restore order. Uh, these brown shirts even orchestrated the Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, where they smashed the front windows of over 7,500 Jewish stores and Jewish synagogues. So uh, now once Hitler, uh, the people said, well, we need somebody with, with strong you know, power to, to restore order. And so Hitler says, okay, I'll be, give me your, your rights and freedoms. I'll restore order. And the people do. What does Hitler do? He rounds up the brown shirts and has them all killed in the night of the long knives. And so they all get stabbed and shot and, uh, you know, Ernst Rome, you know, they, they went in to, to shoot him and he said, tell Hitler to come in and shoot me himself. And of course, Hitler wasn't going to, but, you know, Ernst Rome, you know, had his shirt off and he had his chest out, you know, defiantly. And they just took the gun and shot him in the chest and killed him. And anyway, so Hitler was now perceived as restoring law and order. So here his people created the crises and he presents himself as the candidate to restore law and order. Um, now, a little bit of a, a background. These tactics have been perfected as time goes on. And so in uh, after World War II, the uh, British decide that they're going to give independence to all their former colonies, India and Egypt and all these countries. And in a perfect world, that would be great. So we got all these new, you know, Jamaica, all these new countries. The Soviet Union decides that they want to fill the power vacuum. And so they would send KGB agents into Romania, into Hungary, into Syria, and they would find groups that have grievances, groups that have uh, injustices, groups that have been you know, treated bad. And certainly, we just got through a world war, so there was lots of people that are struggling. And so they would organize them to do protests against the brand new government. And then the protests would break out into riots. And then they would break out into violence and smashing windows and so forth. And then uh, they would bribe and threaten the media so they could control the narrative, blaming the, the leader for these problems. And when it, the uh, killing and random violence reached uh, an escalating point, they would do a coup or a rigged election and get rid of the leader and install a Soviet puppet leader. 
And at first, everybody was relieved that the random violence stopped, uh, only to have a rude awakening when the dust settled that they had just given up all their freedoms. Now, the U.S. Uh, had Harry S. Truman, and he was sort of naive, thinking the United Nations would, you know, be the answer to the world's problems, and it wasn't. And uh, he sort of ignored the Soviets doing this. But the next president's Eisenhower. And he uh, said, well, you know, here we have a choice. We can sit back and watch all these countries become Soviet satellites, or we can do something. So in 1953, Eisenhower gave approval to the first CIA operation to overthrow a country's leader. It was Operation Ajax, and it was in Iran. So Iran had a leader named Mazadek who was leaning toward the Soviet Union. And Mazadek nationalized the oil industry in Iran. You say, what's that? Well, Winston Churchill changed the British Navy from coal to oil. There's only one oil well in England, uh, and so the British need oil. So in 1908, they form the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. You know it better as BP. British Petroleum is the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. And so Mazadek nationalized it. They basically took it away from the British, and the British go to Eisenhower for help. And Eisenhower has his Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles, and the CIA operative, Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And he goes over to Tehran, and he organizes, he recruits the most feared mobsters in Tehran. He recruits the radical imams. He bribes the media and threatens the media so that he can control the narrative. And then they begin to have protests and blame Mazadek. And then the protests uh, devolved into riots and smashing windows and attacking mosques and causing bloodshed and instability. And in the midst of this confusion, uh, they had uh, cultivated uh, relationships with officers in the Iranian military. And when this crisis got bad enough, the military went in and put Mazadek under house arrest and then put him away in prison where he died. And we installed the Shah, who was very friendly to America because we put him in power. We did the same thing in Guatemala in 1954. Congo, 1960, Dominican Republic, even Chile uh, in uh, 1973. But the KGB didn't sit back. They did it with Castro in Cuba, making it a Soviet satellite, and then infiltrating countries in Latin America and South America and, and all through Africa. And this is called the Cold War. And it's the basis of every spy novel, right? You go to some third world country and there's the city and then you run into the Russians, the KGB, and then you run into the uh, CIA and, and so forth. And they'll you know, plot to kill and overthrow the leader. And, and what we're seeing today is basically a CIA, KGB, brown shirt operation taking place on our own soil. Bill, you have what we've, the... we've received reports. Uh, for instance, in Cincinnati, when the riots broke out there, a councilman on city council, uh, he's actually an African-American, he, he, there's a video of him weeping. He said they're giving bricks to our young people to uh, throw at the buildings, and, and he's weeping. He says they're basically 
militarizing these people on the streets. The, the protested turned then violent, and they're passing out bricks. He's talking about Antifa. We've seen this time and again, these reports we saw up in Minneapolis. They dress in black. They hide their faces. Uh, it's a very sophisticated uh, operation with Antifa. Uh, and this basically, they were going around and starting to smash the buildings, uh, windows in the buildings. And there was an African-American. He was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're going to be blamed for that. And this guy just systematically went through the auto zone. And this is the early afternoon before everything started breaking out. He started breaking every window after the business closed, and he walked off. And this African-American's going after him. It's like, what are you doing that for? What are you doing? So this was well orchestrated in city after city, Bill. This is much, you know, back in the 60s was the, and uh, the early 70s was the weather underground. This is much more organized with Antifa, and their numbers are much bigger. Your thoughts? Right. I think a lot of the people doing these criminal acts are MS-13 gang members that the previous president had let across the border. I think a lot of them are ISIS fundamentalists that were brought over from unvetted uh, immigrants uh, from Syria. Uh, and you see in Minneapolis, uh, the police pulling out Sharia Islam is going to move in. Gangs are going to move in. And, um, this is, um, organized. Now you can do, you know, research on the internet. You find out that George Soros has been funding black lives matter. George Soros funded, um, more. So I'm originally from St. Louis, 30 miles from Ferguson. I've spoken there, you know, a half dozen times over the years. 99% of the people riding in Ferguson were not from Ferguson. They were brought in by Moore, M-O-R-E, Missourians Organizing for Reform and Empowerment. George Soros gave Moore $33 million. And the people rioted, smashed windows. Um, they advertised in like Chicago papers to bring people in. And uh, the the people that lived in Ferguson were like, what are you doing to our neighborhoods? And um, uh, someone even held up an ISIS sign behind Jake Tapper as he's walking down the streets with these rioters there in Ferguson, Missouri. And afterwards, uh, they had been promised $5,000 a rioter from Moore, from George Soros, and they didn't get paid right away. So they demonstrated in front of the Moore headquarter offices and even went in and took over the place. And they started a cut the check hashtag campaign. And it began to go um, viral in the, the local St. Louis media. Um, by the way, the, the, the media had cameramen that went up to these inner city churches where they were doing their quote unquote training and they were showing them how to lock arms and block a highway, um, how to, um, uh, you know, respond when a camera's in their face to give this emotional, you know, practice having a tear in your eye saying we were just having this friendly peaceful demonstration uh, across a major highway, of course, and this car ran into us and, oh, this is so terrible. And they would practice this and they would tell the people, your audience is the public. Yes, you have policemen right in front of you. Yes, you have all kinds of people right in front of you. Your audience is the national public that is going to be watching this. And they would continue to remind them of that. And so um, anyway, um, the, the local uh, more offices quickly cut the check and paid him. So this, the story did not go national, but these were, it was rent a rioter. And then they moved these same people to Minneapolis to, uh, excuse me, uh, Milwaukee, 
where they rioted, Charlotte, North Carolina, where they rioted, Baltimore, where they rioted. And it was this idea that if you riot big enough uh, and declare the local police department racist, then you can have the federal government under the deep state people that, you know, run a whole lot of the FBI and Department of Justice. Uh, they would come in and take over and nationalize the local police departments. And uh, and that was a plan that they were actively working. Um, I think the, the current president, President Trump, is a monkey wrench in their works. And if you can imagine one of these Democrat governors sitting in the White House, uh, they would be very quick to say, we're going to shut down churches and businesses forever. Now, you know, when you study socialism, and I just finished a book on it, Socialism means a structured society where you have the ruling class and the ruled class. It goes back to Plato, where it says democracy won't last because it's based on the people having virtue. The people really don't have virtue, so give it a matter of time, and they're going to yield to their selfishness, and it's going to turn into chaos. And then they're going to want someone to restore order, and then you have the philosopher king. He's the head of gold, and his administrators and military are the arms and chest of silver. It's like the communist dictator and the, and the communist party members. They're the ruling class. And then the people are the abdomen of bronze and iron. They're, they are the working class. So when you're talking socialism, you're talking about the deep state that rules everything and then all the equal people that are subjects. And, um, but you have to get rid of the middle class. And so uh, Frederick Engels, that wrote the Communist Manifesto with Marx, he says that they were alchemists of the revolution, spurring it into artificial crises. And every crisis must be worse than the one before, putting out of business more small capitalists. This will increase the number of unemployed, and then we'll have a commercial revolution, you know, collapse in a revolution. So the idea was you have to get rid of the middle class. And um, a, a domino effect, crime goes up in the city. Some people feel unsafe and leave. Businesses are shut down. COVID response shut down. And people lose their livelihood and the small business people leave. So who are these people that leave? Maybe pro-family, pro-business. Those would statistically be more Republican. Who's left in the city? Maybe those that are dependent on government handouts, statistically more Democrat. So crime goes up, businesses shut down, Republicans leave, Democrats get a monopoly on city politics. And in presidential elections, whoever wins the city ends up winning the state. And whoever wins the state gets all the electoral votes for the state. And the president is elected by electoral votes. So there literally is a Democrat political advantage for crime going up and businesses being shut down in the major cities across America. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. 
Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue we're talking with Bill Fetter of the American Minute. We're talking about Antifa. We're talking about the anarchist organization that has been spreading chaos across the America over the last month with these protests uh, basically turned into riots and anarchy. Bill, uh, we talked about the payouts. There was reports, obviously. People were receiving cash in the streets for smashing windows, for causing chaos. Uh, this group uh you know the FBI and the justice department needs to bring in the rico laws against them and those who are funding them like George Soros are we going to see indictments from uh, uh Bill Barr's justice department uh we should um you know it's interesting uh they had already planned these in democrat controlled cities so all of the rioters like St. Louis Missouri uh, all the rioters get let out of jail without any uh, con- you know, convictions or prosecutions or anything. It's, we had reports like, you know, that they actually had attorneys waiting to pay their bail when they got to the jail. They were that organized. And and then we see that in cities where they're quote, tracking COVID con- contacts, you know, contact tracing, and you know, somebody's got it, and they ask them questions, well, where were you and who are you around? They're forbidden to ask if they were at a riot. Why? Because they have to name all the people that they were there uh, at the riot with, and they don't want them to be named. Why? Because I think a lot of them are these organizers. And then you have the guy in charge of Twitter, and he like is has a special channel on Twitter where they can send their uh, or you know orders without it being made public. Um, it has all the telltale signs of being one of these uh, operations. And you know, inside of the Department of Justice and in the FBI, there are people that do not like Trump. They have access to all of the, you know, intelligence. I'm, they know who's doing the riots. Yeah. Um, they're either ignoring it or they're part of the problem. Folks, we need to be praying. We need to be interceding for our country now more than ever. The future of our country is at stake. Uh, if you haven't woken up to that at this point, it's not just the COVID-19 pandemic. It's, it's the riots and the anarchy that we've seen in multiple cities across the country. I'm telling you, this is a time that we need to intercede and pray. The Church of Jesus Christ needs to rise up and get a hold of heaven and uh, petition uh, for our children, our grandchildren, and for the future of this republic. Remember what Benjamin Franklin said, you have a republic if you can keep it. Well, Bill, thank you for being my guest today. This has been very helpful. Uh, If you want to know more about Bill and the materials that he has, the books, uh, that's AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. And you can get his daily email, AmericanMinute.com, as well. Thanks, Bill, for being my guest today. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for all you do. God bless you, my friend. Well, hopefully, folks, that we can uh, get out in front of this. Uh, There's going to be an important election this year, and the Ohio Christian Alliance is going to be providing voter registration efforts and also voter guides. And, of course, our Freedom Banquet is coming up on July 23rd. 
Our information is on our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.